Frequently, cases of my friend Sherlock Holmes began quietly enough, but led on to rather violent developments. Uh, my name is Watson, Dr. Watson, and it was my privilege to share the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. I will tell you about the case of the stockbroker's clerk. After my marriage, I still visited Holmes now and then to see what new case he was engaged on, and even to become engaged on it myself, as you shall hear in a moment. My dear Watson, I'm delighted to see you again. Ah. And I hope the cares of your new practice haven't entirely obliterated the interest you used to take in my little deductive problem. <laughs> Far from it. Why, only last night I was looking over my own notes. I was uh, satisfying some of our past results, you know. Excellent. But I trust you don't consider your collection cold. No, not at all. There's nothing I'd like better than to have some more experiences to add to it. Today, for example? Well, uh... <laughs> yes, of course. As far off today as Birmingham? Oh, certainly, certainly. You're quite sure you're fit enough to travel? Fit? I told you, I, I never felt better. But you've not been too well lately, I see. Now, how on earth... Your slippers, of course. Slippers? They're quite obviously new. Not more than a few weeks old, in fact. I noticed the soles when you were sitting opposite me there. Soles? They're scorched. For a moment, I thought you must have got them wet and dried them a little too vigorously. Mm. But near the instep, there's a little wafer of paper with the shopman's hieroglyphics on it. Damp would have had that off. <laughs> Obviously, you've been sitting with your feet stretched out to the fire. And a man would hardly sit so long in front of a fire in June if he were in his full health. <laughs> right as usual. I'm sometimes afraid I give too much of my methods away when I explain things. Results without causes are much more impressive. But come along, my dear fellow. Our client, Mr. Hall Pycock. He's waiting in the cab, and we have to catch the train for Birmingham. Well, now, Mr. Bycroft, we have a clear run of 70 minutes ahead of us. Uh, yes, sir. I'd like you to tell Dr. Watson all the details of your very interesting experience, exactly as you gave it to me. It'll be a pleasure. In even greater detail, if possible. It'll be useful to me to hear it all again. You'll appreciate this case, Watson. Oh, very good, then. Let's hear about it, Mr. Bycroft. Well, it goes like this, sir. I'm a stockbroker, Clark. I used to have a billet with Coxon and Woodhouse of Draper's Gardens, but they came a nasty cropper, and we clerks were turned adrift, all 27 of us. Mind you, old Coxon did what he could. He gave me a ripping good testimonial, but I couldn't get another place anywhere. Ah. Well, I'd been getting three pounds a week at Coxon's, and I'd say it's about 70 of them. Oh, that didn't go very far, though. Well, then, suddenly, I saw a vacancy at Morton and Williams in Lombard Street. Ah, good firm. Yes, one of the best. Well, you had to apply by letter only, so I sent mine in, and that was that, I thought. But back came an answer by return. Said if I'd turn up on Monday, and I looked all right to them, the billet was mine. The unpredictable methods of the city. <laughs> I've often heard the manager just plunges his hand into the heap and takes the first that comes. <laughs> Still, Morton's are a top firm, as Dr. Watson says, so I suppose my reference must have done the trick. Yes. Anyway, all that mattered was that my innings seemed to have come at last. The screw was a pound a week more than at Coxon's, too. But here's where the queer part of the business begins. 
I was back in my desk at Hampstead that night, having a bit of a smoke, when my landlady came to me. Mr. Gentile here to see you. Oh, anyone I know, Mrs. Fox? Oh, I can't say. Here's his card. Arthur Pinner, financial agent. Mm. Well, I don't know what it's about, but you, you'd better ask him to step in, please. No, I... oh, will you come this way, sir? Thank you. Ah, Mr. Hall Pycroft, I believe. Uh, yes. Oh, will you, uh, will you take a chair? Ah, thanks. Mr. Mr. Pycroft of Mason and Williams, I think. Uh, Mawson and Williams, yes, that's right. Uh, oh, well, rather, I haven't started yet. I only got their letter today taking me on, you know. You haven't been to the office yet? No, haven't set eyes on them. I don't start till Monday. You were formerly with Coxon and Woodhouses? Yes. Uh, do you mind if I ask... Well, well, Mr. Pycroft, the fact is I've heard some really extraordinary stories about your financial ability. About me? Talking to Parker. You know, used to be Coxon's manager. Can't say enough for you. Oh, that's very nice of him. Very nice indeed. He's a good fellow, Parker. Yes, first rate. Now, look here, Mr. Pycroft. Have you kept in touch with the market while you've been out of work? Every day. I read the stock exchange list every morning. Ah, that's the way to get on, my boy. Now, let me see. Our New Zealand Consolidated... A hundred and four. Air shears? hundred and five to a hundred and five and a quarter. Wonderful. It quite fits in with all I'd heard. My dear boy, you're much too good to be a clerk at Morton's. No, sir. By Monday, you'll be business manager of the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited. With 134 branches in the towns and villages of France, and not counting one in Brussels and one in San Remo. I'm afraid I've never heard of it. Ah, very likely not. It's been kept very quiet. Too good to let the public into, you understand. I see. My brother, Harry Pinner, is promoter. All the capitals being privately subscribed. Yes, I see. Harry is managing director. Well, me if I could pick up the right man for business manager. Parker spoke of you, and that's what brought me here tonight. But, uh, uh, mind you, I'll be honest. Harry asked me to get a man cheap. I can't pay more than 500 to start. 500? Yes, I'm afraid that's all. But there's an overriding commission of 1% on all business done by your agents. Take my word for it. That'll come to more than your salary. Yes, indeed. A great deal but, more. Mr. Pinner, I don't know anything about hardware. No, but you do know about figures. Yes, that's true. Well, <laughs> no, look here, Mr. Pinner. I can't deny that your offer is a very good one. It's a splendid one. But I've been out of work long enough and... Well, Mawson's may only be offering 200, but they are well known. They're safe. Well, I'll tell you what I'll do then. You take this note. It's for 100 pounds. Now, if you think we can do business, you just slip that into your pocket as an advance on your salary. Now, what do you say? I'd say this, Mr. Penner. When do you want me to start? Splendid. Now, my company's offices are temporarily situated in Birmingham. If you could go up there tomorrow, perhaps... Certainly. Well, should we say uh, one o'clock, then? Yes, indeed. Uh, take this note to 126B Corporation Street, and you'll find my brother there. Of course, uh, he'll have to confirm your engagement. Oh, yes, of course. But between you and me, it'll be all right. Well, I, I hardly know how to thank you, Mr. Pennant. Not at all, my boy. You've only got what you deserve at last. Oh, uh, before I go, there are one or two small details, though. Oh. Formalities, you know. Yes. Have you a pen and paper, Andy? Yes, over uh, here. Splendid. 
Now, if you could just jot these few lines down, covering the firm, you know. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, please write down, I agree to act as business manager to the Franco Midland Hardware Company Limited. Mm-hmm. Company. And a minimum salary of 500 pounds. I'll put that in figures. Yes. 500 Right. Is that all? Oh, that's all. Now, if I may have that. Oh, yes, of course. Here you are. I think it's dry. Good. Oh, now, there's just one more little thing. What do you intend to do about Morton? Oh, well, I'd better write and resign. So, you see, my boy, I had a row over you with Morton's manager. I took the liberty of going to him to ask about you, see if he'd be willing to let you off, don't you know? I see. He was, uh, well, he was pretty offensive. Accused me of coaxing you away from him, that sort of thing. But I rather lost my temper with a fellow. Told him if he wanted good men, he should offer them a good price. Do you know what he said? No. He said, we picked him out of the gutter. So he won't be keen to leave us so quickly. Picked him out of the gutter, he said. Did he mind, Joe? Just what does he think I am? Now, you judge for yourself. But I had the last word, though. I said, if the fellow's what I think he is, once he's heard my offer, you'll never hear from him again. Good for you. Well, I thought in view of that, you'd back me up and show him I was Say right. Say no more, Mr. Pinner. I owe Morton's nothing. They can go hang. I won't send them a word. Good. Oh, I knew you had spirit. My brother will be delighted to have you, I know. Tomorrow, then, at 126B Corporation Street, Birmingham. Have I missed anything out, Mr. Holmes? Your memory goes further than figures, Mr. Pycroft. Oh. Well, Watson, what do you think of that? Extraordinary good fortune, I'd say. What sort of a fellow was this pinner? Well, uh, middle-sized, black beard, bit of a hook to his nose, you mm. know, brisk sort of way with him. Yes, I can see it. But now, Mr. Pycroft, tell Watson what happened the next day when you got to Birmingham to keep your appointment. Yes. Well, 126B Corporation Street turned out to be a passage between two big shops. It led to a flight of stairs with the names of a lot of companies painted on the wall at the bottom. I read them all, but there wasn't a Franco Midland Hardware Company among them. But while I was standing there wondering what to do next, a man came up and introduced himself as Harry Pinner. We haven't got our name up yet, Mr. Parkoff, as you see. They're only temporary premises. We only got them last week. Oh. Yes, I have to apologize to you for the empty rooms, I'm afraid. Don't be disheartened, though, Mr. Bycroft. Rome wasn't built in a day. Uh, no, no, of course. One table, a ledger, and a waste paper basket. Empty for the moment. Well, there's enough to be going on with. Oh, by the way, I have a note for you from your brother, Mr. Spinner. Ah, yes, well, we'll do that first, then. Yes, you've certainly made your impression on Arthur. He's a shrewd judge. Mr. Pycroft, you may consider yourself definitely engaged. Thank you very much, Mr. Pinner. And, uh, now, can I ask what my duties are to be? Of course, your duties. Mr. Pycroft, you will eventually manage Franco Midland's Great Depot in Paris. Oh, really? Yes, you'll be handling there a flood of English crockery, which you'll distribute to the shops of 134 agents throughout France. The purchase will be completed in a week. Meanwhile, I'd like you to remain in Birmingham and make yourself useful. Certainly. How? Well, here's a directory of Paris with the trades after the names of the people. I see. I want you to take it to wherever you're staying, 
Uh, where is that, brother? Oh, well, I'll find a hotel quite near here, I'm sure. Oh, yes, plenty, plenty. Very reasonable, too. Well, I want you to take this directory back there. There's no need to work in this discomfort. Take it back and mark off all the hardware sellers with their addresses. Stick at it, Mr. Bycroft, and let me have the result by Monday at 12. Hardly managerial work, I admit. But we're all pitching in at whatever needs doing for the time being. And then I found a cheap hotel and settled down to do as he does, Mr. Holmes. With pretty mixed feelings, I don't know. Well, yes, indeed. On the one hand, I was desperately engaged, and I had a hundred pounds in my pocket. But on the other hand, well, the look of those offices. I must say, I thought they'd fix themselves up with something a bit better. Well, anyway, I settled down to the job he'd given me. I soon found it wasn't going to be done by Monday, either. By the time I went to see Mr. Penner again, I'd only got to the letter H. Oh, dear. He told me to go away, keep at it until Wednesday, and then come and see him again. Well, I did, but the job still wasn't finished even then. Mr. Penner told me not to worry, but to push on with it still and see him again on Friday. So I did. <laughs> I'd never have believed there were half as many hardware dealers in Paris. <laughs> well, there you get some idea at last of the size of trade you're going to be handling, Sue. Yes, I do. Well, uh, the best thing is to ask you if you wouldn't mind keeping at them until everything's clear at the other end. But I finished them. Now, 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 my boy, you just think for a moment. Doesn't anyone else sell crockery besides hardware firms? Well, I, I suppose... Yes, the furniture people do over here, so I expect it's the same in France. Ah, that's just the brand of acumen for getting to the top. Thank you, sir. So, what I want you to do now is to take away that invaluable director again and start marking up the furniture first. It's very good, sir. Now, don't be downhearted, my boy. I tell you what, I may hear some news from London by tomorrow morning. I'll be out and about all day, but if you pop up here at, uh, shall we say, 7 tomorrow evening... Yes, sir. I may be ready to put you out of this suspense. Well, that's very good of you, sir. Right, then. And don't forget, tomorrow is Saturday. Saturday? Well, all work and no play, you know. Oh, after you see me in the evening, why not cut along for a couple of hours at Day's Music Hall? Well, it's just the place for a young blood like you, eh? (laughs) (laughs) What an extraordinary way to run for business. Eh, Holmes? Remarkable. Tell me, Mr. Pycroft, on your visits to the offices, have you ever seen signs of any other business being done there? That's another funny thing. Every time, the place has been just the same. The waste paper basket? Still empty every time. It seems to me he only goes there to meet me. But Mr. Pycroft's powers of observation rise to even greater levels. Let's hear again, sir, what else you noticed at your last interview. Oh, yes. Well, when he added that bit about the music hall, you know, he kept laughing... And I couldn't help noticing that his second tooth on the left-hand side was a gold one. Uh, I don't quite follow. Well, the point is, Dr. Watson, when his brother, Arthur Pinner, had come to my room in London, I'd noticed exactly the same thing about him. Quite extraordinary. Still, I don't quite see... Wait a moment. Let Mr. Pycock tell us what else he has noticed about the brother's Pinner. Well, I told you what Arthur Pinner looked like. Middle-sized, black beard, hook nose, and so on. Yes, yes. Well, apart from the beard, and maybe the hair being a bit shorter, Harry Pinner might have been his twin. Perhaps he is. 
They're, they're brothers. Well, that's what I thought. But you see, it was the tooth. Was there anything else? Uh, their, their voices? So far as I can remember, Arthur Pinner's voice, they're almost exactly the same. The sort of voices you'd remember again. Well, then, Mr. Pycroft, what was your conclusion? Well, sir, I know it may sound silly, but I thought back in my hotel that night, these two brothers are one and the same man. Same? Yes. But... But why? Oh, I puzzled out all the whys for myself till late that night, Dr. Watson. Why should a man approach me in London, engage me in his firm, give me a hundred pounds advance, send me to Birmingham, and then dash up there himself, shave off his beard, cut his hair, and go through all this, this pantomime with lists and directories in empty offices? Why, indeed. Pretty rum to me. Exactly. And that is why, Watson, we're all three sitting in this train. Mm -hmm. Which, I observe, is nearing the end of its journey, isn't it, Ah, if my watch is not misleading me, we shall be in ample time to conduct a joint interview for Mr. Harry Pinner, or is it Arthur, at seven o'clock this evening. There it is, Mr. Holmes. That's the passage of 126B. Hmm. Unimpressive. Well, I make it only one minute to seven, so I suggest we go straight up. But, Holmes, how are we to do this? I, I mean, who are we? Uh, you and I, uh, if you see what I mean. You, Watson, are Mr. Price of this town. You're a clerk. Oh, yes. I am Mr. Harris of Bermondsey. Since my head for figures is notably sounder than yours, I shall be in the county. But, sir, how shall I explain you to Pinner? We're both friends of yours. Oh, yes, but... A chance meeting this afternoon near the town hall. We're both in need of a place... So the business manager-elect of the Franco Midland Hardware Company is just the man to try a word on our behalf with his employer. I see. Jolly good. Right then, sir. Shall I lead the way? If you please. Come in. Good evening, Mr. Pinner. Uh, what? Is something the matter, sir? I... I'm not feeling too good, Mr. Bycroft. Not so good at all. Who are these gentlemen? Well, this is Mr. Harris of Bermondsey, and this is Mr. Uh, Mr. Price. Mr. Price of this town, sir. They're friends of mine. How did you do? We, we happened to meet this afternoon. They're both gentlemen of experience in business, sir, but they've been out of a place for some time, and I ventured to bring them for a word with you, sir, if you'd be so kind. Quite right, quite right. What is your particular eye, Mr. Harris? I'm an accountant, sir. And yours, Mr. Uh, uh, sir. I, I'm a clerk. I'll let you know in due course. And now I beg you to go. For heaven's sake, leave me to myself. Now, isn't there anything I can do for you? No. No, boy. I... I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'm not well at all. I, I must just go into the other room a few minutes. I'll be all right soon. All right soon. Is he giving us a no, no, Dr. Watson, he can't be. That door leads into an empty room, there's no exit. There's something I don't understand in all this. That man's sweetheart mad with fright. Those papers on the desk, perhaps there's something in them. Now, let's see. Ah, it's a newspaper. Oh. Here, this evening. What? Great heavens, Watson, look at these headlines. I was only halfway advanced with my theory about this case, but if I'm not mistaken, this completes it for let's, me. Let's see. Wait, what was that? Seems to be throwing the furniture about. That's furniture? There's only one chair. See, quickly. Here, you'll let me. Run yourself up. 
Under the his weight, right? Uh, that chair, Watson, uh, right? Yes, I'll him right up. All right. At least he's, he's still breathing. Uh, right. Lower away. All right. Uh, what happened? It's all right now, Mr. Holmes. Well, Watson. That was a near thing. What do you think of him? Uh, uh, he'll survive. You better open the window, Pycroft. Find some water if you can. No, Holmes. Hmm. The near thing, all right? He'll live. And I better go for the police. So I'll... All in good time, my dear fellow. It would be nicer, wouldn't it, to let him tell us all we need to know before the notebooks get here. There's so little left to find out. So, so little left to find out. Well, I don't know about you, Doctor Watson, but I couldn't be further in the dark. Yes, same here. Well, it's all quite simple, really. After hearing Mr. Pycroft's admirably detailed story, it seemed to me that the events could only point to one conclusion. I deduced this from two main points. What was it? Ask yourself why your written declaration was wanted. Not as a business matter. No, what was wanted was a specimen of your handwriting. There was no other way of persuading you to give one. Give for what on earth for? Well, let us leave that point for the moment, except to add the obvious conclusion that someone wanted to imitate your style of writing. So now we come to the second point. This should throw some light on the first point and vice versa. I hope to heaven it does. The second point, my poor Watson, is Pinner's request to Mr. Pycroft not to resign his place at Mawson and Williams. But Mr. Pycroft didn't send in any resignation. The manager at Mawson's would be still expecting him to turn up to start work on the Monday morning. You mean, Holmes, that someone was going to turn up in Mr. Pycroft's place at Mawson's? Pretending to be him? <laughs> Capital, my dear Watson. <laughs> A glimmering at last. Yes, of course. An imposter was to be planted into Mawson's under the guise of Pycroft here. Just in case anyone should notice a discrepancy between his handwriting and that in which Pycroft had applied for the vacancy, steps were taken to equip this pretender with a copy of Pycroft's script to study. Ah, okay. yes. But I don't understand, Mr. Holmes. Why should Pinner pretend to be his own brother? I can't see that either. Well, I thought it was pretty clear by now. There are evidently two of them in this little plot. One is pretending to be Mr. Pycroft, working every day at Mawson's in London. The other, as is Pycroft's engager, persuading him to come and work in Birmingham. There had to be someone in Birmingham to receive him and act as his employer, in order to keep him here for as long as was needed. The conspirators wisely didn't want to let any third person into their plan, so Pinner had to do the job himself. And it might have worked. But for that gold tooth and Mr. Pycroft's admirable powers of observation, well, I'm blown. Mr. Holmes, you've told me how it's been done. Can you tell me why? This paper Pinner was reading when we came in. That'll tell you. This is one of today's London evening papers. Your answer's on the front page, Mr. Pycroft. What? Great heavens above. Oh, come on, read it out. Oh, I'm sorry. Crime in the city. A desperate attempt at robbery, culminating in the death of one man and the capture of the criminal, occurred today in the city. It appears that last week a new clerk, who had given his name as Hall Pycroft, was engaged by the famous financial house of Morton and Williams. This person appears to have been none other than Beddington, the famous cracksman and forger, who, with his brother, only recently emerged from a five-year spell of penal servitude. So that's what it's all been about. It's becoming pretty clear, isn't it? Indeed. But pray let's have the rest of the report. Oh, uh, just a minute, sir. Turn to page six, column one. 
I haven't got place quick here. I have it. I got it. It is customary at Morton's for the clerks to leave at midday on Saturday. Sergeant Tewson of the city police was surprised today to see a man with a carpet bag come down the steps of 21st one. He arrested the man after a desperate struggle. Nearly a hundred thousand pounds worth of American railway bonds were discovered in the bag. The body of the murdered watchman was found doubled up in one of the largest safes. It seems likely that Beddington managed to get locked into the building after the other clerks had gone and was disturbed by the watchman while rifling the safe. His brother, who usually works with him, had not yet appeared in this job so far as can at present be ascertained, but the police are making energetic inquiries as to his whereabouts. Well, we can save the police some trouble in that direction, but, Mr. Holmes, why do you think this one wanted to go and string himself up? The prospect of another long spell behind bars, no doubt. And then again, who knows, it wouldn't be the first time that even a villain had chosen to die rather than face the shame of having his brother executed for murder. Okay. However, these are not considerations for us. We have no choice as to our actions. If you will have the kindness to step out for the police, Mr. Pycock, Dr. Watson and I will remain on guard here. Case of the Stockbroker's Clerk was one of the Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. My name, my, my real name is Norman Shelley. My friend Carlton Hobbs played Sherlock Holmes, and I was Dr. Watson. Our script for this BBC production from London was by Michael Hardwick. And need I say, I look forward to the pleasure of your company again very soon for more adventures of Sherlock Holmes.